0: Hello listeners, and welcome to Unspinning, a podcast about pulling at the threads of our favourite folklore characters. I'm Brendan Alexi. In this first episode, Kristen Zori King, Cara Alexi, and I talk about a pretty familiar character, the werewolf. Except we might not know all that we think we know about it after all. We three were so eager to make this episode for you and in time for All Hallows Eve that we recorded this conversation even before we knew what this podcast was going to be called. We really hope that you have as much fun listening as we did chatting. We're going to begin in a moment. Hello, everybody. Um, thanks so much for listening and joining in to our very first episode of this currently unnamed folklore podcast. I'm Brendan Alexi. I'm a writer, poet, and performer from the lovely Twin Island state of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I'm joined here by two other fantastic uh, writers, two other incredible people who share my fascination with folklore. Um, Chris, how about you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Um, my name is Kristen Zori King. I am a writer based in Washington, D.C., um, and, yeah, I do a lot of, like, reading, hiking, all kinds of other stuff on the side.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much. And care.
1: Hello
2: to all folks tuning in. My name is Care Alexi. I'm a writer. I'm also from Trinidad and Tobago, and I do, in fact, have a bit of a fascination, an obsession with folklore, particularly our local folklore and all of its roots and where this folklore uh, evolved from.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, and as you can obviously tell, we're here to talk about folklore here today. Um, it makes perfect sense to have this conversation in October, I think, um, as it is at least in the US, it's spooky season it's here spooky. in. Trent- spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Here in Trinidad and Tobago, it's always spooky season. So. <laughs> I think um,
2: technically, like, October into November. it's ki- October's kind of spooky season because we do have All Saints.
0: That's true, but then, like, but with Carnival spooky, and stuff.
2: But I don't know. I don't think that it's spooky. All Saints is spooky so much as it's, like, spiritual. Hmm. Um, but also, we have usually October through November, sometimes September through November, is Diwali. Which is like the opposite of Spooky season.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and that's actually in the same weekend as well. That may be interesting for us to talk about at some point too.
2: Yeah, I remember once going to a Halloween party and I didn't drink at all because I was also technically fasting for Diwali. So I shouldn't even have been there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then there's like our own story about, um, about Halloween slash Diwali when we were in D.C., uh, that we'll probably good. save for a little bit later. That's yeah. that's going to be a treat for them. But this particular episode, we're going to talk about one kind of folklore, creature in particular. One that I think that, at least in some form, almost everyone's familiar with. And that's the werewolf. Um, it turns out there are a lot of different variations of the werewolf, too. Um, here in Trinidad and Tobago, we have our own Um as as does a lot of other parts of the English-speaking and French-speaking Caribbean. There's the um, there's the traditional werewolf that I think everyone's familiar with, but then there's the loop garou. I'm never sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly because my think, accent, my French accent is horrible.
1: Well, I so what would you say though, Brendan? Is like what's like a classic werewolf for you?
0: A classic werewolf is um, the whole full moon uh transforms like like outside of its will, um just runs rampant uh until daybreak when it like awakes in the middle of the forest naked and afraid.
2: Okay. <laughs> I think that's actually that's a really good description of werewolf to me.
0: Yeah, but that's also very modern I think um description of the werewolf too like i think a lot of its older representations are much more refined Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that correct to say chris
1: i don't know if i'd say um refined but there's you know i mean there's different like i think rules and variations to different kinds of werewolves whether you are talking about the lugaru or the rugaru or um do you want to talk maybe about some of the like Trinidadian variation? Yeah, like
2: the variation would be our local variation would be the lagahoo. Now, I was gonna say before we get to, to Trinidad, if that's okay, um, one of the things that this this totally comes back to my whole the evolution of stuff. So one of my students, um, I'm working with him right now on a paper that's actually it's actually about vampires, right? But this is related, I swear. One, <laughs> one of the uh, cryptids that he's researched for his paper is the Precolici, And the Precolici is a massive lupine humanoid that prowls the night, brutally attacking folks, people, things that they encounter and kind of consume their flesh. It's like a little zombie, a little werewolf, a little vampire, right? And one of the interesting things I thought about the Prequiliche, originally he wasn't planning to include it in this paper about vampires because it seemed like a werewolf. And that was that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about how we ended up with the Lagahoo because according to and this was so dumb because I grew up and Brendan you can you can weigh in on this as the mm-hmm. I guess only other Trinidadian here. Um, <laughs> But I grew up with the Lagahoo being basically a man-dog, right? Right. Uh, So like a two-legged, it's a two-legged creature, but it's, you know, and it's got a mostly man-like body, but claws and fur and stuff and a dog-like head. And it carries around this coffin that it is chained to. So one Mm -hmm. of the things that you experience is that it's going to be dragging this coffin along, right? But for some inane reason, despite the fact that this is the Lagahoo I have known my entire 30 odd years, there is some definition out of our heritage library apparently that has made its way to the lagahoo's Wikipedia page about a human with no head huh. is also a shapeshifter. Yeah. What is this?
0: It's okay. So actually, so I'll be honest and say that that's the who that I know. You
2: know so, the no headed thing? Because I've never Yeah,
0: I know the no headed thing. So so it's depending on who you ask, depending on who you talk to, it's one or the other. It is a uh it is a distinctly lupine um, bipedal creature with or without a head that drags a coffin. Or it takes the shape of a man with like of a regular guy without a head dragging a coffin. But in both instances, which I always thought was interesting about Ilagahu, um, they are, in a sense, conscious shapeshifters. And they don't just shape shift into dogs either. Yeah. Um, they also have some kind of vampiric properties. This folklore is so cool. So, like, um the whole the whole reason why the werewolf kind of roams at night apparently is to suck the blood of livestock or rather suck the blood of anything but livestock is the most convenient you
2: mean like the
0: werewolf in general or the who in particular the who in particular right i don't know that that's i because I, i mean that's not something that we um that we've come to know of like the traditional werewolf and even french caribbean werewolves are closer to like the Traditional werewolf or the werewolf that we've come to understand mm-hmm. than our lagahu, which brings so many questions. Like, how did it turn into a guy with no head? Like, what was what was happening in our cultural consciousness that we decided to be head?
2: I the precolici and stuff in the first place because somewhere along the way, the precolici and some other thing got like mixed up. So, when we were doing the vampire research, and I, I know I'm talking about vampires now, but when we were doing that research, we discovered that some of the information for, like, um, silver, werewolves being harmed by silver, mm-hmm. came from an entirely different mythology, came from, like, an entirely different thing, a different creature, and kind of overlapped with, with you know, other stuff, and then eventually it became part of the legend.
1: I think Um, you see that a lot, honestly, I think that there's, um, I mean, I should mention that I didn't mention this in my intro, but I like folklore too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm here. Um, But I think you see like, what's interesting to me about like the instances that you're talking about is the like cannibalistic nature, because, you know, when you think of folklore and mythology, you, you or at least when I think of it, one of the primary things I kind of like to interrogate is like, what's the fear here? um and it does definitely seem like you know a common thread of fear is cannibalism and you see that more in different ways in different folklore and with different creatures and whatever but um and then there's also um in terms of fear like there's the fear of being like a non um like christian person so you have this like silver and the cross and the you know, take that kind of like transcends whether it's werewolf and vampire. But I am also curious too, like where, like when you when you talk about folklore, like a werewolf or a vampire, like things that are like very well known in like the you know pop culture conscience. I'm curious, like how much of that is like true to form, like true to the actual original fear, original stories, and how much of it is just kind of these like morphed stories from you know, years of like Halloween and, and yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, that's actually a great question. I, yeah. I think, I, th- I think that's actually what makes, to me, the who's so interesting mm-hmm. is that we've come to understand and like, we culturally understand the who as distinctly a werewolf, despite the fact that like, if you described it to someone who knew what a werewolf was but had never heard of a -a lagahoo before they'd be like you're obviously talking about something else Mm -hmm. (laughs) um about this man without a head who drags a coffin and can shape shift but only to suck blood uh (laughs) i wonder how because when i think of a werewolf i think specifically of the lagahoo. like i need to train myself sometimes to think of a werewolf as anything other than Mm -hmm. Um, what I've come to know in my own cultural context, despite the fact that it takes a vastly different shape. And I wonder if, for instance, the only reason it's a man without a head is because, um, because of someone's very particular experience or sighting or because a really bad game of folklore telephone ended with like on one end
1: (laughs) on one end
0: someone beheaded a werewolf and then on the other end Uh it turned into well all werewolves have no heads
1: well because there is also the element of like in a lot of werewolf stories um if they don't have their clothes they can't turn back into a human um so that's like one way to kind of trap them as a wolf forever and i'm wondering if there's something like related to that within the you know beheading or body part where like you have to physically make it no longer a man or i, I mean i don't know
0: no well for uh, the, the thing about the lager who is the only way to like defeat the creature is that you have to beat it with a stick that was soaked yeah. in holy, holy water, water for nine days yeah <laughs> So there yeah. is that like same connection between like um, so, spirituality. Yeah, and like but important. to add
2: to that, I think one of the key parts, one of the key parts of that defeating the lagahu story, is that this the lagahu is going to continuously transform while you do so. Yeah. So like while you're beating this creature, it's, just it's going in to like, forms. yeah, it's going to like continuously change forms into other beasts. Um, other creatures, other things, um, and including finally, a
1: human? what's that? Does that include a human?
2: I don't think so. I think it's just like no, other it's just various stuff. other beasts, yeah. But um, but you have to basically you gotta beat it like that. You have to beat it until it stops transforming and turning into like another thing. And I feel like that's a not so veiled anecdote of like confronting Yedima.
1: <laughs> uh huh.
0: Or also, like, Caribbean people's fascination with violence, but...
2: I mean, that is different. I think that our fascination with violence comes wholly and completely from colonialism, um, which obviously influences our folklore, but anyway, that's a different conversation.
1: Well, so let's talk a little bit about, like, the idea, like, the transformation, because... um... We, when we were kind of talking about like mm-hmm. what we were gonna do for this episode, and you know, we were thinking through like the buckets of different folklore, you know, stories and creatures and whatever, and there are like the the ones that transform, so the ones that either start human, you know, or basically are human at the core and then yeah. transform. Um, it is that does that happen in this instance, or is is it kind of always? Well, it has to be. I right? get
2: the impression. And I am. I don't know. I don't have the wiki open anymore. Like, I closed it. But <laughs> <laughs> I get the impression, like, from, from these stories growing up. Um, and that was actually something I thought was interesting about what Brendan said. Because I... Now, I know that the Lago is supposed to be, like, quote, our version, unquote, <laughs> of the werewolf. Mm-hmm. But when I think of werewolf, I do think of the, like, Hollywood... You know, mainstream Western mm-hmm. werewolf, mm-hmm. because in my brain, the laga who is not the same thing, right? Like our thing is the laga who—that's a thing—and then there's the werewolf. And I always thought that the laga was distinct because of its coffin. I've never heard of a werewolf dragging this thing around.
1: Mm-hmm. But, well, in- so is it? Do, do they start as a man and then? transform and it's right. they really so, transform because of like a punishment or are they like bitten that's-
2: so i got the impression that the lava who was a kind of zombie which is to say that it's like a demon of some kind it was okay. not necessarily a human first got and right. in the cases uh where it may have been a person first that was a very bad person okay and it was a punishment of some kind Brennan, what what is your experience with
0: those definitions? So that's actually a really interesting question because I don't know. And by that, I mean, there isn't a clear answer as to... That's something that's also true a lot about a lot of Trinidadian folklore. And I think that that's always kind of what's also made me really interested in it is that there's never really a clear answer as to what these things are and how they find themselves into this position. Mm -hmm. Um, So whereas for um, for every other culture that has um, their own version of the werewolf, of the lugaru. The idea is that there is this creature very often a man, there's this person very often a man who uh, is trapped in this kind of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde loop um, where they transform outside of their will and they just want to be human again and have control over their lives whereas for us we have uh like sometimes somebody will tell you that you could get turned and people will say that about the Lagahoo who sometimes and like if you encounter one and it bites you in its beast form you can be turned but then also that they are Uh, just demons that try to take people into this realm so like what we hear a lot what i've heard a lot when i was growing up was that the coffin is not theirs so some people will say that they're dragging their own coffin yeah but some people will tell you that they that the coffin that they drag is to capture people and to trap people in it for them to die yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) so i've heard that the coffin does the coffin does belong to the lagahoo I've heard that the coffin is for the Lagohoo to trap others. And I've also heard that the coffin is actually like a Pandora's box. And all of the Lagahoo's like big sins and horrors are trapped in that coffin. And he has to drag those around until uh, the end of the Lagahoo's days. Also, yeah. the Lagohoo is a man. I've never heard of a female Lagohoo
0: for the yeah, record. The yeah, never have Yeah. And yeah. that the whole idea of transformation for the lagahoo is not uh, it's not beyond their control, um, but either as a means of escape or of haunting, like, victims. Like, they might stop in front of someone's home and might turn into a beast to taunt or frighten them, or even to break into their homes. So, um, if, I can, I
2: if I can take one more small tangent, because that's how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, in pop culture with like the like the werewolf vampire war that you see from underworld and stuff like that i always like from that perspective the lagahu being the werewolf equivalent and dragging a coffin which represents a vampire or potentially represents a vampire i thought that was really interesting (laughs) and it kind of for me as somebody who is interested in i can't say studies i'd like to study it but you know ain't nobody got time so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it it's interesting to me because it it demonstrates just how much the vampire and the werewolf myths uh how far back they go together and how they've stayed together in various different ways if that makes sense yeah are the they
1: else. and i'm curious like when you think of the two of them do you think of them as enemies no like more like oh
0: well lagahu and sukuya i uh, because that's our version of right. I don't think of, of them as separate at all. I think it, not as well, enemies, I don't end- think of them as enemies, and I don't think of them as like having any relationship with each other. Yeah, like they
2: honest. don't go hand in hand with us the way in like modern day Hollywood it's <laughs> vampires and werewolves.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Yeah. so with us, it you there's there is the sukuya and there is the lagahu, but they don't necessarily have to be. Be anything they don't necessarily exist in the same world right they <laughs> they're from they they don't they don't have any relationship at all
1: yeah. right they're not enemies but they're not allies either they're both just kind of doing their yeah just doing, doing their, their own, own terrible their things, things. Yeah.
0: yeah but to come back to the idea of of transformation though because that is something that has always been really fascinating about uh about quote unquote traditional werewolves mm-hmm. um like I, I wonder whether I wonder why rather that has become a thing. Because like I said before, like what I understand about like pre-Hollywood werewolves, there was there are some myths where the werewolf whether or not they wanted to be a werewolf um, is is a tragedy on its own. But there are some versions of the werewolf that choose their transformation. It's not uh it's not a full moon thing, it's not um, something over which they have absolutely no control but rather something uh, that they for lack of a better way of saying choose to do and there was actually a really interesting story that um that chris you actually kind of revealed to me when we were kind of planning out stuff for this episode i'm sure that i'm gonna pro- like butcher the pronunciation mm-hmm. of this it's bisclavret.
1: laverette uh Bisque-Lavrette, yeah
0: see I told you I was going to put it I
1: mean I'm not saying it super well either but yeah I actually um like before <laughs> right before this so I uh, just some background of like my kind of introduction to folklore I've always been you know an avid reader and a, and writer and um in college I studied both French and and English literature and um I took a class I think like my junior year that was called uh Monsters in French Lit and that kind of like was off to the races for me um, mm-hmm. in terms of studying folklore. So um, what I started doing like within my undergrad experience was like in my classes was tracing folklore from um, France to North America and like the split between Canada and like Louisiana. Uh, oh. I don't know why I'm telling you all of this except that... <laughs> Um, in Monsters in French Lit is where I read Bisclavet. Um, and I think this was kind of my first encounter with werewolves outside of um, like you know the kind of like Hollywood or Twilight or Harry Potter version mm-hmm. for the first time I really ever thought of like werewolves as a concept and fear etc so Bisclave Ray is a medieval uh, lay that was written by um, I think Marie de France um Yeah, I think so. But it's basically, it tells the story of um, a knight who uh, kind of like he keeps disappearing at night, and his wife is like, What is going on? Um, And he doesn't want to tell her. And finally, he gives in and tells her that um, when he goes out at night, um, he turns into a werewolf and roams the woods. And he tells her too that when he. like if anything was to ever happen to his clothes, he would be stuck as a as a wolf forever. And right. she, um, is like, "Cool, cool, cool, cool story." And then steals his clothes that night, so he's stuck as <laughs> a um, as a werewolf or as a wolf. Yeah, not even a werewolf. He's stuck as a wolf, and um, and she shacks up with the neighbor, and then, um. Well, that's, that's,
2: that's the quintessential European woman, according to. Right. Great well, that's
1: <laughs> right. So basically everything I'm telling you right now, I literally I just looked up that like it's from a college paper that I wrote <laughs> um, on like gender norms in French monstrosity and mythology. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that makes so. so much sense now. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: okay, I'm a decade later, I'm um, reading my college papers. But basically, um, I. Like there's all these like knights and hunters, and they there's this wolf that that they see, and and the French have a long history with wolves and kind of like just hunting and all of that. And um, I'm not saying this very eloquently, but um, they notice that there's this one wolf that like acts very noble, and so they right. figure out what happens and bring this wolf some clothes, and it turns back into the man. Um, And then they punish, like, the wife who, you know, was, like, treacherous and stole his clothes and whatever. So it's really a story about how, like, the the wife is the monster. (laughs) monster, (laughs) Whereas, like, you know, even if you get turned into a wolf, if you're, like, still a good and pure person, um, you know, you'll be, like, a good wolf and you won't be eating people, I guess. (laughs) Right. Um,
0: Which
2: is such such the opposite narrative
1: <laughs> yeah what's interesting well, I don't know
2: maybe not quite the opposite narrative but definitely there's there was definitely a pendulum right like
0: like especially when it comes to like what i think about now that i've heard about the story Calvary, is that this guy willingly because that at least that's part of the story that i got from uh, from the notes when we were planning to when we were planning the episode, as I read them out, is that he willingly removes his clothes to transform into the wolf, um, and he knows that if he loses these clothes, that's it—he's screwed. And I, I can't help but wonder why the hell would a reasonably thinking person do this? Remove his clothes? <laughs> like, like if you know that this is what this is what it means to turn into a werewolf. Um, there has to be at least. I don't know what a, what is the reason why he would do that.
1: <laughs> well, I feel like there's a lot of so I think there's a lot of associations of like why you would become a werewolf. So like some common ones are like hypersexuality, um, just kind of like generally being bad or like hyper masculinity, which is why I feel like a lot of times our brains go really to thinking of a werewolf as male. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, there's like the other side of it where there's like the magic spells and the curse and or you get bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like in this case, it's kind of this like tension between man and nature. And he's like keeps giving into this like wildness within him um right. but but then because his wife is like the actual monster he's kind of given this opportunity to prove himself and like prove his manliness by which i mean like like physical manliness not necessarily like you know strength or whatever versus like his wildness
0: i don't know like so and like let's talk about what is only known as Bisclavery's wife as well
1: yeah, I don't because... I know, honestly, if she has a name. I don't think she does.
0: <laughs> and I can't help but wonder... Okay, so I I don't think... And I'm not attempting to speak for every every person who is in a relationship. But I can imagine at least one person, upon discovering that every other night, their significant other turns into a wild beast. Of their own volition to leave the home in the middle of the night, that I might decide. I could totally imagine somebody deciding, and you really have to, to, to be talking about you
2: know, you had to be talking about. To... <laughs> I don't, I don't,
0: maybe, maybe I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs>
2: so, I've been, I'm gonna Obviously. apologize briefly, I've been a little bit MIA because one of the cats climbed into my lap and I've been distracted. Oh.
0: But, um, yeah, but I, I'm here. I'm present. I'm, here, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, but I I could totally understand Bisclavery's wife, um, Bisclavery's unnamed wife. Oh, but like,
1: gets her nose like torn off at the end.
0: Yeah, and I'm like, maybe she made the right choice by deciding not to be with this guy. Who?
1: Well, I think it's more like I mean, if you think a bit about it, like as like an allegory or whatever you know, there's this man and he's struggling and he's struggling with whatever it is, like, internal or this, like, you know, tension again between, like, man versus the wild. And instead of being supportive of that, she's like, you're bad. And then, you know, again, like, leaves him for another man. Right. While also damning him to be a wolf forever. Yeah, um forever. I mean, I, damning
0: him to be a wolf forever was a bad look.
1: I mean, <laughs> I mean again, though, yes, and like, if you think about it like in a literal way, like if somebody's struggling, obviously not with like becoming a wolf every night, but like, you know, a big internal struggle. I mean, obviously we're looking at it with a contemporary lens of like.
0: Right. Equitable part. It might be a loving thing to just be like, well, let's make this choice easy for you. Right. Hmm.
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I want to, I just want to butt in here and be kind of out of time in. So okay. this discovery story uh, reminds me a little bit of The Devourers. I don't know if either of you have read The Devourers.
0: I'm not familiar with The Devourers, mm-hmm. no. Uh, Chris,
2: have you heard of it? No. Okay, so it's a novel um, by someone called Indra Das. And the characters, as far as I can tell, are... The, the main characters in the story are Indian... Um, and it's, it's kind of, (laughs) so this is what reminded me of this is what you said about the beginning of discovery. So this guy is telling this other person about his life as a werewolf, basically, right? Like this fantastic tale of love and lust and, you know, all of this stuff. And, uh, if anybody ever listens to this and you take one book recommendation away from, from this thing, (laughs) I mean you should read the devourers because it's got werewolves and it's also got some really interesting uh world building that it also involves a kind of theory of the evolution of the werewolf for lack of a better way of putting it so you know is fenrir the original werewolf for example um i can't remember if this is in the book but i do know like another theory of where the first werewolf was named is from gilgamesh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The the Epic of Gilgamesh. But then again, like I said, we have Fenrir, which is not necessarily older, but you know, there's that story as well, and all of these different places. Um, I, for one, I don't necessarily think that the werewolf started in a specific place, but I think that it's likely. That multiple places kind of popped up with similar explanations for things over time.
1: Well, yeah, because you see the same, like, yeah, you see this similar concept with regard to transformation. Based, like, you know, like in northern Africa, I know there was like a lot of, maybe not northern, but I know in certain places in Africa, similar there are a lot of similar stories with hyenas.
2: Yes, exactly, because it's the it's it's not necessarily a wolf, but it is a where something a transform me. Transforming something. And like in a lot of modern um a lot of modern stories of where blanks, right? Like where tigers, where wolves, Mm where bears. Like that's a huge so in case you couldn't tell, I read a lot of urban fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Mostly because I am utterly and completely fascinated by how modern storytellers repurpose these tales and repurpose these uh, characters in our mythology and these creatures in our mythology and from our folklore, I'm endlessly fascinated by that. So I read just about any urban fantasy or contemporary fantasy that I can get my hands on. And it's not necessarily just like the vamps and werewolves thing, but anything, right? And something that I, really thought was interesting is that so many writers are expanding beyond the werewolf and there's the were everything now. <laughs> uh, but it's also not unusual because like you said, Chris, there are stories of shape-shifting animals or shape-shifting people that you know change into specific animals from all over the world, right?
1: So I feel yeah. like, again, like it kind of comes back to in the idea of transformation whether it's like bears in russia or tigers um or foxes or like you know i was just looking at my notes and it says stories from parts of africa describe people turning into hyenas crocodiles in chinese folk tales people become tigers in japanese they become foxes so i'm curious like within that like what is this what is the core thing is it like an opportunity what's
0: the fascination with transformation you mean
1: yeah, I mean, I guess it's like, what's the what's the fascination? What's the fear? What's, what's the purpose? Is it to, like, prove yourself as a good person? Are you – you know, I mean, like, w- in the examples that you were talking about earlier, when you get, like, beat by a stick with holy water, like, it seems like you're being, like, physically forced into being –
2: I have so much less faith in the philosophization of, (laughs) I don't know if that's even a a word, but like when I think of these things and I sit down and I wonder, gee, who thought of this in the first place? Like, I don't think of it as, I'm sure it became, I'm sure sure it became (laughs) like a story or an anecdote around morality or around change or any of those things. But I'm pretty sure that somebody was like, that animal, too smart to be an animal. It must be a
1: person. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of the thing with this, with this ray is he's like the king and his knights are out hunting, and there's like a really well behaved wolf. Exactly. And then when he sees his wife, he tears her nose off. And instead of being like, oh, guess that wolf isn't so well behaved, they're like, that wolf must be a person, and it must be this dude who did and it. it. Must
0: have a, I must have a totally good reason for biting <laughs> someone else's <laughs> nose off. what?
1: Yeah, that
2: wolf is clearly <laughs> a person with human feelings and they don't like that bitch. Like, right. <laughs> so what happened? Um, but there's, yeah. also,
1: like, there's also, like, um, what do you call it? Is it, like, lysanthropy, which is an actual mental disorder in which patients right. believe that they're a wolf or, like, a non-human animal. So there's you know, yeah. that as a possibility as well.
0: Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's, I talk, for me, I think that's the core of, like, the quote-unquote traditional werewolf, where like the whole question is, which one truly are you? Um, which is also terrifying. Yeah, are you really a wolf, or are you really are you really a beast, mm-hmm. or are you really a man?
1: Yeah. I'm curious, though. What would you guys turn into? Um,
0: you know what I really, really like. I, I like. I, I like. I like it because it's. To me, kind of ridiculous. In Dungeons and Dragons, they have were rats. (laughs) I think I'd I'd want to be a were rat. I'd want to be a were rat. I just think it's too hilarious. And no one's looking at a rat. No one's looking at a rat and saying, that's a really noble, well behaved rat, which means I get to be the worst version of myself. in i suppose the full moon when i go through people's garbage and then pretend like it never happened the next day
1: (laughs) that's so interesting that you specifically choose something that would be the worst version of yourself as opposed to something that's like noble and because that is kind of like what this is right it's it's something like monstrous or scary or other
0: yeah but that's the thing is that there's no such thing like i i've never heard of a were-owl Mm-hmm. or a hawk. it's always I have
2: what books are you really?
0: reading <laughs> I mean fair <pay laughs> enough, enough I have not read those books um but when I think when I think of uh those kinds of transformations the creatures that come to mind and the creatures that you hear most often are um either the most vicious or the most unclean if that makes sense. Well, right.
1: Because I think there's a difference between shape shifting and like this, spe- this, like the specificity of the werewolf. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of the werewolf is based in like cannibalism or, you know, again, like the like fight within yourself or whatever it is. It's like more this like battle or this threat. Um, yeah. Versus it's not just like, it's not just like a transformation so that you can like then go like, whatever, tell them, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, which is also honestly very terrifying the fact that we immediately understand or imagine these characters as inherently connected to masculinity. Not necessarily because it's an unreasonable connection, it's terrifying because it's an entirely reasonable connection that men are um, kind of culturally understood to be like inherently um, vicious and beastly somehow beyond their control and part of the reason why i guess it's terrifying is because we we internalize this idea that it is it is it's within their nature that it is beyond their control for them to transform
1: right I it's mean, like the animal inside also... us
0: yeah
2: oh, sorry what was that chris
1: just i was like just like the animal inside of us
2: right i and i guess that's kind of what i wanted to talk about because i feel like so okay so we've said that this transformation generally represents something heinous and like when Brendan said it gives him the opportunity to be the worst version of himself when I thought about that question I was like man if I could be a house cat I can sit on my ass and do nothing but eat and sleep all day and in keeping with that pattern of like that's kind of what I envisioned the worst version of myself to be unproductive and lazy <laughs> no 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 think about it. it plays on all of my anxieties right Because mm-hmm. i am i'm like <laughs> borderline neurotic about constantly being productive and it's only recently it's only recently that i've like learned to you know not be upset at myself if i'm not constantly doing a thing right if i'm not constantly mm-hmm. productive and it's I I feel like there's a lot of fear and that's not a word that we've necessarily used a lot. We've talked about like the cannibalism and the horror, but we haven't necessarily talked about the sheer terror, the fear of being this creature, which is really what the underlying thing of of all we've discussed is, right, is that these guys, these werewolves represent something that we are afraid of our men becoming or men are perhaps afraid of becoming because Yes, we do have this social narrative of men, you know, of of men and violence. Right. Or men and terrible, violent things. But (laughs) but that's not necessarily what men want to be. And that is the demon that all men kind of have to face. It's like I could be a quote, good man, unquote, or I could be this.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's true, but I feel also like the, assuming that we believe, even remotely, that um, the media and the myth that we consume kind of informs or justifies our own expectations in real life, the problem I find with the werewolf is, even if we believe that uh, that they don't want to be that thing, we're still kind of creating excuses for the behavior of people who are their most monstrous selves. Mm-hmm. By I'm saying, not sure
2: that we're creating excuses, not in not in the modern uh, ways. Fair that enough. We them. Perhaps in perhaps in older versions, but even yeah, that I yeah. think is questionable.
1: Well, there is. I mean, I will say to that end. You know, when I think of something like like twilight where there's like an element of like sexiness or like to that, um, to the werewolf werewolves. Um, there's, there's a part of that that I do feel like is a justification where it's like, Oh, isn't it, isn't it great when a man just like gives in. Um, so to that end, I feel like there is some sort of like excuse, but I also think that, you know, I mean, like one of my like notes about, um, Kind of the history of werewolves and where they have appeared both in folk folklore but also just kind of like in the common conscious is um, off the coast of France in the 16th century that I guess there were like a group of teenagers who were roaming around at night and like breaking curfews and socializing outside of bound like the bounds of polite society and like they were called werewolves so I feel right. like there's all it's also kind of a way to be like watch out watch out.
0: Yeah, and like parallel to like, well, not parallel to, but like uh, in the same way that there were um, witch trials in some parts of yes, the world. Real- thank you for bringing
1: that up. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is
0: wild to me that someone, just the idea that someone, like two sane people could watch each other and say we should kill this person because they obviously transform into a wolf in the middle of the night.
1: But not just to, like, so between... 1520 and 1630 in France, there were more than 30,000 recorded cases of people who claimed to be or appeared to be werewolves. 30,000.
2: They appeared to be. So there is, you mentioned, um, was it lycanthropy that you mentioned earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like a, you said, it's, and I didn't know that actually, because I know lycanthropy from like the myth, right? the mythical transformation of a person into a wolf like that's what I -hmm. Uh want lycanthropy to be um but you and I just googled it because that's what you do (laughs) now so uh, the archaic term the uh, lycanthropy as an archaic term is a form of madness involving the delusion of being an animal, usually a wolf, which is what you mentioned before. Right. Mm -hmm. But there is also an illness, the name or not an illness, but a genetic condition, uh, where people are just kind of hairy. Yeah. I saw
1: that. (laughs) Not kind of like very,
2: like, yeah, yeah. They're super hairy. Um,
1: yeah <laughs> hairy gene disease. Well, that, that's one I of like the can. theories behind like that thirty thousand number but that yeah. just means insane That me. some Isn't folks are just really hairy yeah but, yeah
2: i think it's hypertrichosis
1: yeah maybe I think but you, the, I, well,
2: according to the wiki picture that's it's hypertrichosis. <laughs> other names are werewolf syndrome <laughs>
1: Um, before
0: we forget, though, I want you to tell us, Chris, what you would turn into.
1: Oh, I so I actually, I asked my partner this last night, um, and I was, like, hoping he would say, like, a lion or, like, you know, something, like, kind of scary but noble and whatever, and he said a hedgehog. <laughs> um, Why a hedgehog? <laughs> because, I'm so i so glad think I muted myself a... before
2: that laugh. You guys would be deaf.
1: <laughs> I think because... Um, like I'm really hobbity. Like I don't think that's like my werewolf because that that's just like I guess what he thinks my essence is is hedgehog. Right. Um I don't know. It's an interesting it's interesting to think about it in the in the context that you guys are of like what what are my fears? Like what is the yeah. worst version of myself? Um And I'm not sure what that would, I mean, maybe in all honesty, it might be like something like a lion or something that's like, you know, very prideful, but also somewhat slothful and aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like the other side of that. Um, I did want to note though, really quick though, that another point on the like werewolf cases in the 15 and 1600s in France, um, one of the theories around that is the same theory that's around The Salem Witch Trials, and I'm forgetting the name, but it's basically that there was like some bacteria on the wheat that caused hallucinations, which I don't totally buy.
2: Oh no, that's a real thing. Like Really? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but that's um, a very specific shared hallucination to have.
2: Not necessarily. Like if this is a thing, so... Ugh, I'm totally spitballing here. So I'm pretty sure that there's a very large chunk of what I'm about to say that is not scientifically accurate. <laughs> but I, the memory is coming from, from scientifically accurate research that I have done in the past because that's who I am. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, for those who are listening and don't know anything about me, my first degree was molecular biology. <laughs> um, so that's where this is from but yes so back then people would often eat things that <laughs> were hallucinogen hallucinogenic hallucin- that Hallucine- made you hallucin- see things <laughs> yeah there you go, there you go. That, that, that's the thing um, so people would eat these things they would not know that that was really happening to them and they would assume that it was Normal. They would assume that it was real, and often because so many of those that ate these things were the poor folks mm-hmm. who had to eat these things, families would eat these together, and because they were families and they would all hit the stride of whatever drug this was, <laughs> all together. But either all together, often at different times, because they they may not all eat together. So like parents may eat. Um, like the wife would often I think eat last and the husband would eat first and the children in between there, kinda like the bathwater. Um, and Chris, you might know this better than I. I might be getting this totally fucked. Um,
0: What's
2: but but because like because of those things <laughs> they would often you know they, they would kind of share they wouldn't see the exact same thing but they would see vague similarities because their surroundings were similar and their life experiences were often similar um if they were it's like the same village or, or things like that and that's i mean when 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 you as a, as a biologist you look at the kind of plants that they would eat and <laughs> the kind of moles that they would eat to you it makes a lot of sense
1: yeah, and I know that there are also like a lot of similarities between like hallucinogenic drugs. You know, there are, yeah, like, there's a heightening to the senses, but there's also, like, you know whatever is kind of in the shared memory at that time can be exactly, and I think
2: that yeah. that's kind of the source of so like this mass hallucination thing. And I always thought that mass hallucinations were trash. Like how are you seeing <laughs> the same thing as everybody? I'll else? be honest,
0: I still think they're trash. I mean, I mean, I mean,
2: I think that they are they're trash in that you're not going to see exactly the same thing, but whatever major signposts are present. You're going. You're likely to interpret that similarly to others, Sure. Right? So, like, I might see a big hairy werewolf, but maybe that werewolf is a different size or a different color or, herb, well. or it is shaped differently a little bit you know in every different hallucination but it's all something that people identify as a werewolf.
1: Right and like yeah. i mentioned like the french like were already like in these small villages battling like a incredibly extended wolf population so if that's already right. something you're afraid of and it's in your brain as like Exactly. Threat, I don't a 100% buy that theory but i think you made a compelling <laughs> um okay. i also just want to say quickly well two things really quick the first is um i feel like it's i feel like we're obviously we all did like a lot of research on, on this and like we're talking about it but also like i think just like general disclaimer for every episode is like we're probably gonna get things wrong and so and that's, that's like, fair. on purpose well, yeah 100%, 100%. So, like please 100%. don't write angry emails to us um <laughs> And then the other thing I wanted to mention when we were talking about the hairiness thing is um, another, like, really common connotation of werewolves is puberty.
0: Oh, yes. Mm.
1: Um, And that kind of, like, rapid changing of the body, which is interesting to me when you think of female werewolves, which do exist in folklore. Mm -hmm. um, And you sort of think of this, like, you are getting hairier, you're growing, your body's growing. Your body's hurting because it's growing. And all of a sudden, blood. And where is that blood coming from? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So just throw it <laughs> into the conversation.
0: It's a shame that we, in like popular culture, we don't see a lot more, or at least I have not seen a great deal of woman werewolves in popular culture. Yeah. So, Which I feel is a, a huge missed opportunity.
2: So there is this. Back to my obsession with urban fantasy. Um, <laughs> uh, so much of urban fantasy that includes wolves, um, werewolves and pack animals generally. So there is this um, there is this scientifically proven to be wrong theory <laughs> uh, that wolves have this like alpha beta. <laughs> kind of oh
1: they i'm should. so glad you brought that up i saw that on twitter the other day and was like i don't know if this is true but i like the idea of it.
2: it is true it is true so wolves aren't really like assholes to each other in packs because they're they're families and sometimes the families family members are assholes to each other but for the most part they don't go around like you know aggressively dry humping each other to demonstrate dominance like that's right. not really a thing um, because the studies that were done on wolves were done on wolves in captivity. Uh, the studies that, that, that had this whole like alpha pack kind of alpha yeah. wolf in the pack structure thing, right? Uh, but despite the fact that we've known for years now that it's all bullshit, um, you know, so much urban fantasy loves it. They love it because it's the, you know, domineering male trope. Right, the powerful male who oh god, I can't I mean, even fair, I can't even bring myself to continue describing it because I just want to vom.
0: I mean, to be to be fair, they would be describing werewolves under captivity in capitalism. So
2: that's fair in <laughs> its own way, but also trash. Um, anyway, so in those in those settings, uh, f- there's a fair deal there's a fair amount of female werewolves and were creatures generally in those settings um but they're always kind of like for lack of a better way to say it they're in my experience they're often these beta animals right so the males are always very um the males are always uh the big dominant dudes and then so the the and in many stories, in many worlds where where werewolves are in this contemporary setting, uh, the female's power all stems from which male in the pack she is mated to. Mm. Um, yeah, the oh god, Yikes. it's all—it's all, it's so troper—it's like troporific. It's I can't—I like had to stop reading a lot of the books that really had that trope because they just got so it, it I couldn't anymore it I just you can tell that I'm, I have no words to describe how much I dislike it because I'm just stuttering um, <laughs> but anyway one of the things that's common in those stories as well and I think that this is because while female werewolves do exist in the mythology they are not nearly as prominent at least in my experience as the stories of male werewolves mm-hmm. yeah so um in those in those like modern stories the female werewolves are like specifically known to be less normal so or rare right like some yeah. kind of rare wolf uh, a female werewolf i knew to it was
0: survive, coming at some point yeah. um this actually, I think, is a good place for us to talk about some of the other places that we've encountered werewolves Ooh, in Baba. popular sorry, culture.
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys.
0: <laughs> so, Kay, you've spoken a lot about um, some of the urban fantasy that you've read. Um, Chris, where where do you think where do you think was the first time that you've encountered a werewolf in in popular culture?
1: I mean, I feel like it had to have been Halloween. Like, interestingly, unlike say vampires, I can't think of an exact equivalent. Like, like Dracula, you know? Like in terms of it,
0: mm-hmm. werewolves are like this unnamed beast.
1: Yeah, I'm like I don't feel like I remember a like movie or book like that made me think like oh that's what that is. Whereas like werewolves were just kind of like a thing. Like they just were around at Halloween and you know, spooky and scary. And then I've obviously mentioned like a million times they were in the Twilight books, which I don't even particularly care for all that much. I just, that's like the thing I can mostly think of them in. They were obviously Harry Potter with um, Professor Lupin. Um, I was looking up uh, a bunch of examples online to see like where werewolves are in pop culture, at least like in terms of like film and, and TV shows and a lot of the examples I was getting were like werewolves in London, or like like which I haven't seen, like I, like like 80s or 90s kind of cheesy teen movies, which I do right. feel like lends itself to the puberty angle. Um But yeah, I don't know, Brendan. What about you?
0: Um, I have one that kind of fits very snugly into the whole puberty angle. <laughs> there's this there's this really kind of cheesy uh uh TV show that used to show on uh on Fox Family called Big Wolf on Campus. Oh
2: okay. my god. It's
0: so bad. I loved it. It was I I I watched every single episode of this horrible television show growing up. Oh no. Um about this like <laughs> about this jock whose father is the mayor of the town that he lives in who like he went on a like like he went on a secret date or some crap and then he got bit to some like absolute garbage like oh he got bit yeah he got bit and turned into a werewolf okay and then uh, and then promptly decided to fight to basically fight crime as a werewolf (laughs) and and like fight other mythical creatures in his small town because it's always they always just populate the small towns like they don't have anywhere else to go
1: so it's like Buffy, um, if Buffy was a college boy who is also a werewolf.
0: Yes, goddess. basically, and if Buffy's father was the mayor of the town,
1: and he also fought like kind of, I guess, his own kind.
0: Yeah, and 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 I thought that that was, like, I mean, I don't know that I was thinking particularly deeply about this when I was like twelve or whatever I was, but I did, I do remember thinking when I got a little older that I thought it was really interesting that his immediate response to finding himself in this situation where he knew that he didn't have control all the time over who he was being would see other creatures, other mythical creatures and not internalize that they might have the same dilemma. And it was just immediately, well, you're hurting people. I guess I'm going to kill you now uh, <laughs> instead of like,
1: I mean,
2: and sorry, finish.
0: I I I don't know that there's much more to that, except that. I don't know that there's much more to that except that I I wondered I wondered why we don't think about all characters in the in those kinds of media. I like,
2: I have an answer to that, but it's
1: not a pretty one.
0: I mean, yeah, I'm sure that it's not a pretty answer. But like when we look at other shows, like uh, like even Grimm or
1: I thought of Grimm too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like
0: when we think about shows like that there's the, there's our central character our protagonist <laughs> who obviously is having a crisis of identity uh-huh. um, and we have to sympathize with this person going through the struggle but learning to come to terms with the possibility of using this curse for good. But everyone else who's cursed, fuck them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Like, what? I mean, Maybe we can
0: deal with I'm, this a little bit differently.
2: <laughs> I'm a furley of the belief that so like using the big wolf on campus example that was a super privileged white boy
0: yeah no but that's also true that he was a super privileged white boy who's only
2: so, so imagine super privileged white boy suddenly gets superpowers duh i'm gonna fight crime
0: true and and I will... what does
2: crime look like anything that's different he, he doesn't think to himself oh i'm different now
0: fair enough that's actually a, that's actually a really good point
2: right that, that's to me, but it's also not pretty because when we yeah. think about things that I've also, like, watched all of Grimm. Ironically, I've not watched all of Supernatural. Um,
1: please don't kill me.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of Supernatural to watch. I don't yes,
1: think. And I, don't, I haven't think watched any fun. of Supernatural, so.
0: <laughs> it's also somewhat bad, so.
2: so. So, yeah, like, I got, I got to, I watched enough of Supernatural to get to that episode that had Aime Aka because I'm in love with her. And then that was it. That was it? Yeah, like, I don't think I watched beyond that. But at any rate, my point, though, is that most of these, there are some now that are different and they're branching out with, like, characters of color Mm -hmm. uh, who are present. Sometimes they are main characters. But those are very, very few and also not very good. And and that's something that I I noticed as well. Like, I don't think, I don't remember any characters of color from Grimm
0: yeah me neither actually
2: yeah I I don't I don't recall at all any characters in Grimm who were not white also like one series that I did really like was Lost Girl also kind of a dearth <laughs> people of color but um yeah, I think that that's the thing. Like, uh, like in those situations where you turn, you turn into a crime fighter, right? And the thing that you're fighting are other supernatural creatures, but you don't necessarily give them. Like, they don't all get that redemption arc. Yeah. You know. Sometimes they do. Like Grimm did have a redemption arc for the blonde girl, but uh, yeah, the blonde girl was Adelaide.
1: Adelaide. Yeah. Adelaide.
0: Adelaide.
1: I I had <laughs> about about. Like halfway through season two, so I don't. I know.
0: got to episode two and I was like, "What is this?"
1: I really want. Watch, that was a movie. like example of something that like I feel like the concept was there, and they just kept swinging and the thing.
0: Yeah, I
2: don't think that they really hit the mark so well. But it was easier to watch than Supernatural. Fair. <laughs> I watched most of it like playing in the background while I
0: did other stuff. That's all. <laughs> it do does it. bring up. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Um, I did just, um, while we were talking about, like, pop culture and werewolves, I just Googled werewolf to see, like, what came up, Mm -hmm. um, hoping it would be, like, here's a great movie or whatever. Um, And instead, what came up is that on Etsy, you can buy werewolf babies. What? Or they are made out of silicone for thousand two hundred twenty-three dollars and eighty-four cents. You I'm gonna put it in the chat.
0: This is important. <laughs> what? This is I want one. Do what you, I want one. I hold want hold one. Are you kidding? I that's great. That's great.
2: I can't have a goat, but you can have <laughs> this ugly ass baby barrel. <laughs> <girl. laughs>
0: That is so incredible. I'm gonna make sure that in the description there's a link to this as well if people want to get one. It is a little bit pricey, um, but it's ready to ship in three to five business days.
1: There's only one of now! One available.
0: yeah. You want to act now. It's a rare find. When I click this link, there was only one of these in stock. So, oh my god, this is incredible! This is terrifying,
2: <laughs> it's kind of cute. But- was terrifying. What
0: <laughs> I did want to touch on something that you had said earlier, okay, about um, about uh, privilege that I thought yeah. was really interesting because you it, it does dawn on me now that when we think of when we think of werewolves, when you think about the werewolf stories from the vantage points, from the perspectives that we actually get to see, it is actually a lot of them are basically like Bisclevere mm-hmm. of this noble knight who is some somehow cursed, um, but otherwise has privilege, and that is in fact the fair. Not just so much that um, there's a challenge between the uh, the regular, the normal. Uh, human versions of themselves and their more beastly versions. But also that there is a version of themselves that comes directly counter and and puts at risk the life that they know themselves to have. Like the conflict with this guy from Big Wolf on campus, is not just that he turns into a beast during the full moon. But also that if anyone found out, his entire life would be ruined. His father would lose his job. They'd probably have to leave town. Um, that that is his real challenge. He doesn't want people to know not because he they'll think that he's some sort of beast, but he doesn't want people to know partly because his the life that he has will be ripped out from under him.
2: If it's a loss of status.
0: Yeah. And 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 that's probably connected to the to why we don't think of other creatures that we encounter through our protagonist in the same way because they already started from the bottom. Like they're just still yeah. at the bottom. So they have nowhere yeah. else to go. <laughs> except death i suppose which is unfortunate
2: so interesting so to expand that a little and talk about go back to my my urban fantasy books um not mine but you know the books (laughs) that i've read um i mean i have them too but they're not published yet because i don't know life um so one of the big things in these books is lone wolves and when i say Mm. one of the big things i mean like inevitably someone who is without a pack in most of these uh, worlds, in most of these cases, uh, where whatever without a pack is considered dangerous, right? They're often considered uh, to be poachers of some kind, you know, muscling in on the territory of whoever the the, the pack that is associated with the main character, you know, muscling on their territory the big dog is yeah whoever the big dog is that's a good (laughs) or the the big wolf (laughs) and right so like these lone these lone creatures these lone wolves these lone anythings and i think that that's really quite similar because they're portrayed as um They're often portrayed like vagrants or homeless they are less significantly less privileged they're seen by the other animals as animals right they're seen by the pack as an animal as opposed to one of them and it's you know a compassionate pack or pack leader or whatever the fuck and and (laughs) who you know who who sees a, a chance for this wolf or bear or whatever I don't know if the where bears have packs I've read a lot of where bear stuff but you know that, that like to, to, to bring them into the fold and, and to give them a home and suddenly they transform into like a human fucking being mm-hmm. and that's part of the, the I think that that should be part of that privilege conversation because I think it shows it shows so much humanity because that's how we treat people that's how we treat people yeah, that's how human beings treat other people.
0: I mean, even in those stories, I think werewolves have more up more chances at upward social mobility than the average human in real life. But
2: I mean, sure, but <laughs> the the what's the real I'm for the logic? The logic behind that is that uh, because werewolves in most fiction. Are also long-lived yeah Um, they have opportunities similar to to vampires right to build up wealth and if you do this like a pack animal and you build up wealth with a with a bunch of other people at the same time and you know that's a lot of wealth bitch like that (laughs) 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 there are a lot of money there (laughs) there's stuff there's there's much material power to be had um and that's kind of why, right, like you, you don't have far to go because as soon as you are accepted into one of those groups, you really just have to, like, you know, two or three hops and you're there, mm-hmm. but you also don't need to be. You also don't need to be because, you know, being in that pack is kind of like already you're already close to, if not at the pinnacle of privilege and security. Right. Or at least within within the where
0: community in the were community Uh, i mean
2: humans will still think you know humans are still gonna shit on you that's fine
1: (laughs) so i'm curious like what is the different i mean so when you think of like wolves in folklore or in stories there are the werewolves and like the shapeshifters and then there's the wolves that are like more fairy tale-esque like um like in little red riding hood Right, And I'm wondering, like, what's the difference? Is it the human aspect? Um, For me,
0: I think, yeah. Um, but when, I, I mean, there are many different ways, I think, to see the human aspect. I guess for me, it is the idea that this monstrous self is one, uh, that the person would rather not have or would rather not have to wrestle against that uh like I mean with the big bad wolf that this this is this creature's nature. They will hunt and scrape and kill and eat whatever they can. Um because that's who they are and who they want to be. But I, I guess when we think, think of the, the traditional werewolf yeah but I guess when I think about the traditional werewolf I think of a creature that is struggling with this base nature um, which, I mean it's still problematic in some senses but the idea that in fact we can struggle um, and win I think is a story that we should figure out how to tell more and better
1: mm-hmm.
2: I just wanted to say that it's worth noting that the wolf in Red Riding Hood is a lone wolf
0: yeah it's true
2: um, and thusly is characterised <laughs> <laughs> in all the ways that we characterize outsiders and so uh, in many tellings of Red Riding Hood that wolf is a werewolf um, in the, like modern fiction fantasy retellings and not oh. necessarily uh, a wolf wolf but also I feel like I mean I, I guess I guess in 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 that at, at that time you know, you didn't have to be a, a human, part human, to be able to speak to people, right? In those mm-hmm. tales, you didn't need to be a human thing or a, a human esque thing to uh, to speak to others. So it could just be a wolf. Full stop. Mm-hmm. But I guess because the because the story of Red Riding Hood is told from Red's perspective, for lack of a better way to describe it, because, I mean, there is the story that is, it's like an omniscient third, right, the original fairy tale, but also the original yeah. fairy tale is was oral before it was written. Right. Right. So I want to say that it's perspective-wise Red's perspective. Yeah. Until you switch to the hunter. And I think from that perspective, it doesn't matter whether that wolf is a werewolf or a wolf-wolf. Right. Right. So... I, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's honestly just a question I've never thought before thought of before because it's never mattered to me. The wolf is the wolf. He
1: yeah, I don't know wolf. how much it matters. I think it's more like when I think of like it just going back to kind of like pop culture or like where I see it. Like, I feel like I was so much more familiar with like wolves in stories than I was of werewolves.
2: Oh, that's fair. Yeah.
1: Um, which maybe we should just do a whole episode on wolves. <laughs>
0: Just on wolves, that would be great. I mean, not
1: like the next one. Maybe we should diversify. (laughs) (laughs) At some point, we can return to wolves.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot to talk about. Like, even even with all that we've spoken about, we've been speaking for more than an hour now. We've still kind of only scraped the surface of some of these things. Like, we spoke a little bit about the werewolf trials, um, but we haven't talked about um, Gillis Garnier. Um, who was convicted of being a werewolf not just because of like a wild superstition, but because 50, more than 50 witnesses said that they saw him like tearing children apart with his bare hands and eating them. <laughs> like, I don't think bacteria explains that.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, I like, listen. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> 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 you know we look back far yeah. enough we might find that the, this guy grew poppies like this
0: <laughs> yeah but like when we there's still like so many different variations like we could still go much deeper into the lugaru and the gugaru. yeah um there's still so much like i think we could talk about werewolves
1: the romans had werewolves i mean there's like there's so much to talk about but
0: yeah we could talk about werewolves once a year Every okay. year, still... <laughs> I still
1: see
2: every single
1: time.
0: Yeah, we should do this. Like this is this like every every October we talk about werewolves. All right,
1: I'm cool with it. Every <laughs> that. yeah, that's
2: fine. I mean, yeah. I will definitely. I think um, do more research or by more research. I mean, like go dig up all of the old research that is, <laughs> that's like fifty percent fermented in my brain already.
0: Yeah. And like and especially considering, and here's actually an interesting question. Do we think that there are like pieces of do we think that there are pieces of fiction that even though the character that we meet or is described to us is not called a werewolf, hits all of the same notes and does all of the same work as a werewolf does in mythology. So like
2: Yeah, like Red.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: I like,
2: feel like swallowing grandma whole. Like, I don't know if that's a thing werewolves
1: do, but... <laughs>
0: um, for me, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, actually.
1: Like, like that's what a werewolf is?
0: Like, like in terms dark, of... Like,
1: the tension between dark and light, or good and bad. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, like, that exact same challenge,
1: uh-huh.
0: I feel, is the exact same story. It's just that it's the extra layer on top is that the werewolf might know exactly what it's doing when it turns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it in a way that that beastly form is doing that to you, is trying to escape. And there's there's very little that you can do to, uh, to change your nature to stop that because that's an entirely different being kind of living inside of you.
1: I would agree with that. I would say that there has to be, like for it to be like canon folklore <laughs> werewolves, <laughs> it would have to be... It would, yeah, it would have to somehow embody that struggle, and not just yeah. be like the wolf who's waiting to have like, you know, a yummy dinner of the huntsman and grandma and red. Yeah.
0: I mean, to be fair to my Caribbean brothers and sisters, do I do think that we, we need to figure out how to uh, how to tell uh, stories of the lagahoo like much more frequently in the same way and kind of competing on the same kind of playing field as the traditional Western werewolf. Well,
2: um, I mean, there are those of us out there working on it.
0: <laughs> yes, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> And we certainly need to do more of that work. Yeah. Um, because while our Lagahoo doesn't have the same challenges, there is, I think, something to explore about um, about the encounter of Akritia that one could take so many different shapes depending on who it is trying to like terrorize and i think that there's a lot to explore about that coffin being dragged mm-hmm. like we never really know why yeah, or what it is um but there's there's something in that coffin that i wouldn't mind seeing <laughs> me personally yeah yeah <laughs> um i guess it's a good place to ask folks what are their like if you had a closing thought on the werewolf chris what would it be
1: um, um. if I had a closing thought on the world I don't know I, I think I would have loved to talk more to you about like the full moon and like we should yeah. do an episode on the moon
0: we Do an episode on the moon because the yeah. moon itself is a kind of creature all its own kind of
1: um, but I think I don't know I think just kind of like harkening back to earlier in the conversation I'd love to see more like women in depictions of werewolves I think that's like a really cool avenue that hasn't been explored um yeah that's that's all I have <laughs> what about you Kate
2: um I actually so Chris said that uh she liked to see more women depicted as werewolves and I think that that's really interesting because while I've read books where there are women who are werewolves they are not necessarily our main character or protagonist um, there's only one series that I know of, which I actually haven't read. <laughs> and in the other series where there is a shape-shifting, uh, female character, she turns into a coyote. Um, oh. and it's not a weird transformation. It's one of those blessings from a God type things. Um, well, not quite, but anyway, I'll, blah. Uh, what are my closing thoughts outside of that? Uh, I'm really curious to explore more about how the modern werewolf dynamic reflects how we live today as a society and how we mm-hmm. treat others particularly people that we view as other or outsider mm-hmm. yeah yeah in modern like werewolf fiction
1: because it does have a real longevity to it so it'd be interesting to see like the origins of that Or not even see, but like explore the origins of that into like why it's lasted and what that means about us and how it's how it itself how the myth itself and the meaning of it has transformed. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I think for me, actually, um, and this is me, this is me coming back to wanting to be aware. At, I think Uh, that (laughs) I think that we've we've told not too many werewolf stories but like the fair is singular in that whole like man versus beast um dichotomy and struggle i think i i'm really interested in seeing like different kinds of anxieties being brought out by the were mythology <laughs> like the like the same idea like you were saying care about um the "Quote unquote worst version of yourself being someone that is like um, slothful and lazy," um, which I think is a much realer like millennial anxiety. <laughs> Can
2: I actually <laughs> interject there, if you don't mind? Yeah, go because ahead. I do know. So when when you ask somebody this question, right, like what would you be if you shape shifted, if you were aware of something, um, I do think that you get uh, you you get either people like me who I'm doing all of the things that I kind of want to do, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying my best to embody all of the things I want to embody. And so therefore the thing I transform into is all of the things I'm afraid to be and all of the things I'm I'm anxious about being Mm -hmm. um, so that I could be comfortable (laughs) in doing and experiencing those things. But the other answer is going to inevitably be people who who, who feel like they aren't that thing yeah yeah like people who want to be brave or people who want to be noble and they feel right. like that's not what they're doing in their lives now or that's not who they are now you know people who want to be so it's it's either the thing you fear or i think the thing that you wish for
1: yeah yeah there's also the i feel like there's something to be said to for like what society projects on you like what society is afraid of you being
2: oh absolutely
1: um in which case, like I absolutely would be afraid of a wear rat for sure, because
2: <laughs> I have so many things to say about Brendan choosing wear rat. <laughs>
0: like what? Time. What did okay? now was <laughs> not.
2: The time. We can talk about this after.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am curious actually about what you think I would be, because I agree that you would be a, a like a, a house cat. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, that's because, anyway, different. this is a different conversation. We're wrapping up. Come on. Come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so thanks so very much, everybody, for listening in. I hope that something that we shared with you was kind of informative. I will leave the link to the werewolf baby on Etsy Why in the description. <laughs> Be sure to check that out. I think it's super important. I think you should certainly look into getting one um <laughs> and we'll also leave some helpful links to some of the things that we discussed uh in the description as well as well as links to um some of the um, pieces of literature that some of us might have mentioned just in case some of you want to get a read if it's available on amazon um what if you have <laughs> Oh yes, local bookstores, especially important because of uh, COVID-19, especially in this month. I think this is, especially in the US and some other parts of the West, Mm -hmm. this is a particularly critical time to check out your local bookstore. If they do like pickups or deliveries, that's really important for you to give them the support that they need so that you can continue reading the books that you love. Um, And if you have any ideas about folklore that you'd like for us to discuss um, I will also leave uh, a helpful uh, link or resource that you can reach out to us and share some ideas as well as links to all of us on Twitter and Instagram if you want to give us a follow. Thanks so much for joining us. I,
2: I actually want to add one caveat to that bookstore thing because I know that for many people, um, you know, like it's an instinct for Chris to say support your local bookstore. It's not an instinct for us to say it because it's actually really difficult to find the books that we read at our local bookstore.
0: Yes, I mean, that is a thing in the Caribbean, but yeah. still.
2: I mean, still, you should still absolutely reach out. I do know that we have one particular bookstore that we work with that um, that tries to bring in uh, books from kind of like commercial fiction and sort of the things that we do read. But, um, but if you are not in the US or the UK or Canada or anywhere that regularly May consume the kind of fiction and the kind of books that we will leave links to. Please do not feel guilty if you do have to patronize somewhere like Amazon or Book Depository because sometimes that's just the only way to get your hands on it. Um, but if you can do e copies and you can get it from somebody who is a little less uh, greedy, please do.
0: Yes. Fair point. Thanks so much for joining us yet again. Um, and blessings, compassion, peace, and love.
1: Bye. Bye!